Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And thank you to patrons including Fraculus, Hudson 10, Giles King, Grant Whitehouse, Alison Hoyle, Jenny Smith, many others who are supporting us directly. And you can join them and get access to our full-length ad-free show and our Patreon-exclusive sister show, Extra Message. Where can they get that, Ian? Um, Patreon.com forward slash UK Tech. Oh, you are such an insightful chap. That's exactly where you can get it. Um, speaking of which, how to speak well, speaking of Ian, um, are you yes. well, Ian? I'm very well, thanks, Nate. How are you? I'm also very well. I've so far avoided coronavirus, which is... Oh, good. You know, that's always going down as a tick in anybody's dream journal. Facebook should take responsibility for people using its website to sell food from their own homes. This is according to a BBC write-up citing the Food Standards Agency. The Beeb said the watchdog is warning that sellers who have not registered with or been inspected by their local councils could be putting the public at risk. Facebook said its sellers must follow all applicable laws and regulations. Now, the BBC said it conducted a series of test purchases across the Midlands, buying goat curry, never heard of that, cake, roast chicken and chocolate party cones for children from sellers advertising on Facebook Marketplace. None of the sellers indicated they were registered, had been inspected or had a food hygiene rating. One person said they thought those regulations did not apply to people cooking in their own homes, the BBC wrote, while another, when asked about the possible presence of allergens, admitted, I haven't actually checked. Oh, goodness. And so, of course, I went on Facebook Marketplace and tried to find some food items that I could order for myself. I actually found a lot of curry. It's a very popular choice, curry. Lots of it was served in little plastic dishes. Um, I found assorted sausages, or sai, if you wish to use the Langston household plural. Um, I also found 123 pounds of raw meat and bones, although I should point out that's 123 uh, British sterling uh, pounds, not uh, 123 pounds by weight. That would be a lot. Um, five kilos of carcasses and wings for a fiver, and you'd uh, you'd have to drive to Bellaricky to pick those up. And um, there was also an advert for 17 kilograms of raw dog meat, which I looked into, and it turned out to be meat for a dog, which was slightly reassuring, but. Um, <laughs> The, the, the text was certainly a, a little confusing if you were looking to find, you know, Fido flesh. Um, harder to find similar items, I, I thought, on, on Gumtree. I, I expected Gumtree to be a bit like the Wild West when it came to buying assorted meats. But it um, it was actually a lot easier to find sandwich shops for sale. There was one in Dorset on sale for 15,000 quid. It's uh, yeah, I mean, presumably it would come with some food. Essentially, this does look like something that is easiest to do on Facebook Marketplace. Oh, that's a surprise. I can't... I just don't know at what point in my life I would go onto Facebook Marketplace and buy the, these kinds of foods and meats from unknown people. Do well, you? 
Um, I have a feeling that this is very much a community thing. Um, and I, I do wonder if that might be indicated by the uh, prevalence of curry. Uh, it, it seems like the sort of thing where by people who sort of maybe sort of vaguely know each other or, or, or exist in a local community might be prepared to trust each other with curry cooking. So I don't know who, who knows how it works, but I can sort of see how it could be a reasonable thing. Um, and I can sort of see the argument for not regulating that but i feel like it's uh remiss to allow remiss sorry what am i saying i think it's remiss to allow the general public access to the same uh selection of foods if you're going to do that uh but this is not unique to facebook i've watched videos on youtube where uh, people decide to just set up a deliveroo in their um in their kitchen and i watched one uh where these guys set up um uh, uh, they ran downstairs to Waitrose, uh, grabbed uh, you know microwave meals, microwaved them, and then sent them out via a delivery driver. Um, now, obviously, <laughs> in the video, they were very careful about hygiene, but there's no reason to suspect that that sort of thing is not going on. It is going on all over the place. Uh, delivery in the video uh, were not shown to be doing any significant health and safety checks. There was no inspection. Uh, they had got a license from the council to operate as a food seller, but that didn't seem to be particularly difficult, nor did that seem to come with any sort of an inspection. So I have a feeling that if you're um, perusing these sites, there is a possibility that you might not know what you're getting. You only have to think about what happened at, uh, it was Pret, wasn't it, where I think it a was. meal was mislabeled and um, a woman ate it and subsequently died as a result of of that and that's from a very large company that i mean firstly should know better and and uh and i believe it's changed its standards since but it shows that even a chain that size can fall foul of these sorts of problems i I mean look mistakes are always going to happen i i mean i i I think it's very difficult and I'm not saying that this isn't the reason not to be as careful as you possibly can be but I think people with some of these very very severe allergies it um it just it just feels like a a bit of a risk eating out at all. I feel like if I had an allergy of that nature that was very likely to kill me, I don't think I'd trust anyone to make food except myself. We are currently living in a time where there is a virus on the loose. Um it's probably a good idea for us to make sure that places are aware of the hygiene rules, how to prevent outbreaks um you know things like norovirus are so easy to get if you if it's not if people are not being sufficiently clean uh and it spreads like wildfire so i'm all for good standards but i don't know how we manage that you know companies uh like facebook are not going to get into the food safety inspection game um do we need a kind of centralized thing that manages this by government as there probably already is such a thing but it's clearly not effective well, the Food Standards Agency polices people who are commercially selling food, but this is, as you say earlier, a little more, it's peer-to-peer. Yes, but they, I mean, they are selling it. They aren't posting these as restaurants. They're posing right. as home-cooked XYZ and, and being posed, but um, but it still drew a, a bit of concern because there's no guarantee that the kitchen you're making it in isn't full of rats. No, but if people are prepared to accept the fact that they're, uh, getting food from someone's kitchen i i don't think you can stop people from doing that as long as they're making an informed choice why would you want to it ties into a broader trend actually of um 
uh, people trying to cut down on food waste, which is a, an enormous problem. We waste something like half of all the food produced, I think. Certainly in the US, I think it's about 50%. The uh, food that's produced or bought go, goes to waste. So we've got a, a horrendous problem, and that has obvious, obvious knock-on effects for environment and, um, and, and, and other related issues. Um, and there are sites like Olio, which I've never used, but I've always been absolutely fascinated by, whereby you sign up, and you post items that you would like to to give away and somebody will say well I need that and they will come to your house and pick it up and they do a bit more than just food but it's certainly known for um, sharing food and I just had a glance before we started recording the show of some of the items based on my location that are available on Olio and I did find myself to be a little bit amused trying to figure out the sort of person that would take up some of these offers. One of them was for a single red onion. This was recommended <laughs> to me despite being two kilometers away. The description from the person giving away this red onion, which was added two days ago, says simply, been in fridge, so seems fresh. But I don't know at what point in my cooking or in my life I would wish to walk or drive two kilometers or two miles away to pick up a single red onion certainly there's an environmental argument that it is definitely not worth the expenditure of fuel um well the, you go wouldn't on. but but that's that's got to be a density problem right that that's the fact that there's not enough people giving away food so you're seeing stuff from two kilometers away the idea of these apps is presumably that you'd find people on your street who have uh, spare cabbage or something like that. I, I I like the idea of it generally. I think it's a really smart move. Oh, I, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking the idea. I think I think local food sharing like this is is a hundred percent the way to go. My amusement is more drawn from the very small and specific nature of some of the things that are being listed. You know, a, a bag of onions I could understand, but a single onion, I just can't yeah. think why I would bother listing that. It's like you know, it's like when people list a book on Amazon for 1p. It just, it, it seems very, very bizarre. There were some other ones that were confusing me by the metadata, which was free uh, meat-free sausage mix. This was added three days ago and is for free. It's seven and a half kilometers away from me. But the thing that intrigued me most was just the very honesty of the person who posted it, which includes best before end November 2019. So um, it's right. two month, three month old, uh, sausage mix that I would drive seven and a half kilometers to go and pick up. Mm. So the answer is no. Some other fun ones that I saw was um, a couple of handfuls of dried cat food, and um, and my all time favorite of the of the collection was just frozen organic ham. That's it, right? And okay. a picture of some frozen ham. So all of this stuff I think ties into a trend where there is a market for this, but it is currently a bit. Of a, of a wild west and you never know what you're going to get and maybe there's some maybe there's a joy in that and in the, you know if the apocalypse does happen we're all going to have to get far less precious about what meat <laughs> we eat and from where it's originated well yeah i mean we're laughing at this but you know that's because we're a rich western nation if if we were in you know a poorer country then this would probably be a very standard thing that would exist in the community anyway, with very few worries about whether or not a seven-day-old onion was going to see you off. I actually think this is already. I just don't think it requires apps for the people <laughs> to do it. You know, this is very much a door-to-door -door thing 
Have you um, got a bag of sugar kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not even so much borrow. I mean, I still I remember even back in the 90s, you just leave your back door open and somebody would come in, borrow some sugar, leave a note saying I borrowed some sugar. And... This is because you're up north. Doesn't happen down here. No, I'm sure now. I mean, if you enter somebody's <laughs> house and say I'm after some sugar, they'll assume that you're um, some kind of a sex predator um, and bring out the baseball bat. And, and uh, it's probably for the best that that doesn't happen. <laughs> Want some sugar? I'm sure you do. Mm. Well, if you have ever entered somebody's house without permission and taken something of theirs, let us know. Hello at UKTechShow.com. What did you take? And how long did you wait until you returned it? Organised crime is being blamed for a rise in illegal metal detecting at heritage sites in the UK, including at one of England's finest medieval castles and also the battlefield of Hastings. This is according to a write-up in The Guardian this week. The charity English Heritage said in December, or rather said that December last year, was the worst month for such incidents in more than four years and there were more than double the number of incidents in 2019 as there were in 2017. Again, this all according to the Guardian write-up. In some cases, there were up to 100 holes where the illegal metal detectorists, uh, which I learnt, incidentally, Ian, are, are known as night hawkers. Oh, that sounds very fancy. It does, doesn't it? Um, so over 100 holes where um, people had gone and dug up the soil. Now, an archaeologist for the English Heritage told The Guardian it was not only about artefacts being dug up and taken and presumably sold, it was also about damage to the sites. Uh, this archaeologist uh, was quoted as saying, they are destroying the archaeological record. You can compare it to a scene of a crime and seeing a knife and a gun and thinking, I'll be helpful. I'll take them along to the police. And they say, you've just destroyed all the information. This is why we protect our site so carefully. Not even we dig them. We're trying to preserve the record for future generations. Now, there was a story last year um, that I remember reading at the time. There were a couple of men who were found guilty of hiding loot, specifically about three million quids worth of thousand-year-old Viking treasure, which is a very bad idea anyway, because under UK law, something is classed as treasure if it's at least partly made of metal. And I think it's something like 10 percent, 50 percent. I'm going off script here, but I think it's about if, if like 10 percent of it is metal, then it, it counts as being um, applicable to this and is older than 300 years or is an object found in the same place as something that is counted as treasure. In all of these instances, it has to be reported to a coroner, i.e. a government agent, not someone who deals with corpses, and their government officials. And if that coroner agrees that the find is treasure, then legally it belongs to the Queen, like all of England's swans. So you're basically stealing from Her Majesty. Why, why would you do that? I know you wouldn't, Ian. What, what doesn't it belong to the people? Well, it's got to belong to somebody. I mean, a lot of these things well, go it. under review. Yeah, because there's, there's, there's arguments as well around whether something's a treasure trove. Has something been buried and it's fine as keepers? Or is it something that is a leftover from something that existed before and has just got buried over time? 
Um, there are lots of different classifications, but ultimately you have to declare it and then there's an audit and then museums, I think, get involved. And ultimately, if after several months of inquiry, it's determined, yes, this is uh, valuable, but we're not going to put it in a museum and the Queen doesn't want it, then you get to have a stake in the claim. But also so does the landowner, I think, if if it was found on on owned land there are lots and lots of rules around this but the the story as it is is that more people than ever seem to be going to these sites overnight and digging stuff up and it could be that they're ignorant of the law but i suspect many of them aren't um and i and i was trying to think of and indeed find reasons why there may have been a rise and the only thing that i could really tangibly point to other than the fact that there have been quite a few stories about very valuable discoveries um, as a result of being a detectorist um, is that metal detectors themselves have got a lot more sophisticated Um, they've been around for decades but some of them have now got wi-fi and gps and they connect to um to smartphone apps to help speed up the detection process and i assume since with anything the more popular something gets the cheaper the parts are to make uh, good ones um it's just that th- the price has come down as a result of this and now loads more people have got access to it but it does seem that um maybe some people are just generally ignorant of the law and they don't know that they're effectively robbing the queen and she doesn't have very much money more concerning is the fact that these could be displayed shown to the public uh you know be part of the heritage of the country the queen is secondary in my concerns in all, all of this and also the damage to the sites is is terrible because obviously that costs a lot to put right and that's just not on that's that's a very good point. Um, I'm far less concerned about people getting wealthy off discoveries and far, far more bothered about the damage to these sites. It, there, there's a love-hate relationship that I think a lot of um, people with an eye for history have with organisations by the National Trust and English Heritage. One argument is always that it's unfair for a company with a lot of donated funds to ring-fence something that could be seen as public property and then charge people to go into it. On the other hand, there is the argument that by doing that and by having that financial interest, it means that land seekers who want to destroy things in order to build apartment blocks and schools and hospitals or oh, no that i mean they're quite good just let's just think something you don't really generally well, no, want you, you you don't you don't want every part of the country being developed when there's such rich heritage beneath it you know it's yeah. uh, we're we're quite lucky in this country and that we do have something to talk about in terms of our you know buried heritage uh, so it seems to make sense to uh, keep a bit of it even if we you know i mean i obviously you work at bloomberg obviously there was a very big story about unearthing some you know historical artifacts when that building was being made and uh the display of it was part of the building and you know is is a was a part of the condition of being allowed to carry on i'm i i seem to remember yeah we have a museum in our sort of in our basement um and it's uh, it's free to access and it's 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 great it's well worth a visit even um if i am technically paid to say that i suppose um have you ever been metal detecting I I was going to ask you the same thing. I seem to remember as a kid a friend having a metal detector and I seem to remember finding the square root of bugger all, but uh, it was quite an entertaining uh, <laughs> time. Uh, how about you? You seem like the sort of person that would have absolutely been a metal detectorist. I did. I had a metal, I had a metal detector. I had chemistry sets. I was very 
interested in science and uh, nerd things from a very young age. And my friend David Shaw had one as David's well. David's like 15th mention on this podcast in the last three weeks. Well, Hi, as David. I say to everyone that I mention, talk about David Shaw, I spent every day with that guy for several years and, um, and we had a lot in common. So we just naturally ended up doing quite a lot together. But I do remember him and I going out into the local woods to, um, to see what we, could, what we could find. Seems and like a was, good idea. Yeah, I don't remember his discovering anything. Just, um, just the the thrill of the thrill of the hunt, really. I mean, you must have found bits of metal, but nothing of significant value. I don't know. I mean, I I grew up in 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 Rotherham, so it was probably just old knives discarded from local murderers and and things like that. But certainly nothing worth reporting uh, to a coroner or, um, well, to the police. Yeah. Would you have done if you'd found a a shiny, valuable coin? Um, I mean, I think what I would probably have done is is told my mum. I mean, this at the age I was talking about, I must have been about twelve or thirteen, maybe. And uh, and I think I would have said, "Mum, look at this shiny thing I would have found," and then she would probably have told me what to do with it. I mean, Mm. she's a very very big into history, so there is no way that we would have found something potentially historically significant and and not had thought well we need to do something with this this, this we can't just flog this or put it in a box somewhere yeah but um yes no i mean i'm sure she will have views on this as well as a as a big fan of medieval history as as am i but we will we will see i don't know maybe she'll write in if i tell her about yeah, this maybe have go. you ever gone out to detect metal? If so, what have you found? Have you ever found a corpse? Have you found a treasure trove? Have you spoken to your local coroner? Love to know. Hello at uktechshow.com. One million households in the West Midlands will be able to access ultra-fast gigabit-capable broadband from March, Virgin Media has said. Uh, the BBC wrote this story up this week and, and it said that Virgin was going to switch on these gigabit services and that it would be a massive deal for the UK. It's going to be available in Coventry, Birmingham and the surrounding areas. And just to recap, gigabit means more than 1,000 megabits per second. I mean, I think it's actually like a 1,000, what is it, 1,100 and something 1104 i think uh, megabits per second basically it's very very fast the average uk speed is 54 megabits per second virgin's ultra high speeds will cost at least 62 pounds a month which i don't think if you're going to take advantage of that on a very regular basis is too bad Mm. um and uh, it's already available in southampton manchester and reading the company says it plans to add millions more homes this year it's annoying that it's not here in london but i'm not going to begrudge the north of having something really cool before the south does it's not really the north it's more the midlands so is this uh one gig up and one gig down no i looked into that and i'm glad Uh. you asked um no it's not it is one gig down and 52 megabits per second up you're i can't say the word because it's rude that's just absolute cack it really, it really is. Slow clap really the Virgin is. up to their old tricks, as usual. Well, I, I mean, I'm sure they've got their reasons because yeah, we torrent. have never... 
<laughs> no, I don't. You know, I just don't think it is anymore. I think that streaming has probably done enough yeah. good for combating BitTorrent that it's not a factor. It it could just be the fact that they're out of touch with reality. Do you know? Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something that I've, I've I don't think I've ever done before, and I'm going to say that I don't see the point of this kind of download speed, especially if it's not ma- ma- managed uh, married with a good upload speed. Um, I, I I don't think that any streaming service is going to make the most of this unless you've got like 50 people living in your house and they're all watching Netflix at exactly the same time. This just I don't know. I I feel like we we need more work being done on for example the upstream uh it just feels like this is a, a a box ticking exercise if you will. And I mean I agree with you, the price is not horrendous given that I think I'm paying £52 or something for... I pay uh, £52. Yeah, but you've got faster broadband than me. I'm still only on 200 meg. Oh, yeah, mine's on three... Mine hits about 380. Yeah, I mean, this is an outrage. I would like to just state for the record that I've, you know, I'm actually annoyed. I should call them, really, and say, I don't know why I'm paying £52 when you're paying not very much more and you've got a full 150-odd megabits a second more than me. No, I, I am paying the same as you. £52. Right, okay, well then yeah. that is a double whammy of irritation from me, and uh, I must um, I must raise that with the Virgin. If it makes you feel any better. It doesn't. It Whatever you're going to say doesn't better. make me... Any... Yeah, go on. Um, I do have a faster upload rate than you as well. Um, it doesn't, because actually you don't, I don't think. I've now got 20 meg up. Right, okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, mine's yeah. 38. Oh, you son of a... But that does that not even make this more stupid? You've got 38, and the top is 52 on the one gig. That doesn't make any sense at all. I know. Is that, I even, know. Is that even enough upstream to manage the overheads? I, I, I'm not... Yeah. I, it, yeah, that's it ridiculous. Is. That is it ridiculous. Defi- it, definitely, it definitely is. It'll eat into it a little bit, but, but it's definitely enough. But I agree with you. This, the upload should be at least 10% of the download. It sh- yeah, it, um, should, be, uh, and it even, should be 100 and, meg. For sure. Yeah. It, it, if you've got a gigabit down, you should have 100 up. Oh, I, I, I think would, 10% is, is fair. I'd rather have a gigabit, 500, 500 each way. That's far more useful. You know, especially in these this day and age where, where so many of the things that we do are quite reliant on upstream. Like, you know, I, I think about, you know, putting up you know, my, my phone syncs to the cloud regularly. Uh, it would be far more useful. Not that I ever notice it doing it, but, you know, it would be far more useful to have that happen very quickly um, that then it you know then it would to have a massive download and I completely ping times, agree. I I'd, couldn't I'd, agree more. You know if we can I get the ping times more. down, then that's even better. Yeah, latency would be good, but I I think people underestimate the importance of an upload speed now, particularly if you're taking if you buy an iPhone, uh, for example, or the new Samsung or, or any of these devices, and you shoot in 4K video at 60 mm. frames a second those videos are anywhere between about three and five hundred megabytes a minute yeah to shoot um maybe a little less if 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 your encoding is is good or you're not moving around very much but those files are very 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 big and if you're shooting a lot of them and you're uploading them all straight to if it, you know google photos i think has unlimited cloud storage for certain people if you're yeah. uploading to icloud or anything like that you're going to notice that they upload a hell of a lot faster if yeah. if you need them to and and it would also mean that when you're sharing with other people maybe you can talk to them in full hd but yeah if there's not I, enough if there's not enough bandwidth available then you you can't 
You've Possibly you've raised a, a dead good point there because um, you know people are increasingly using FaceTime to communicate and uh, or other video calling WhatsApp or whatever. The upstream on that would be very very useful. It would certainly help a lot with the you know the dropouts and that kind of stuff that we all suffer from time to time. But that'd be absolutely cracking to have that It'd improved. Be great. Imagine imagine having something like Skype or FaceTime or an equivalent um, that ran at full HD. And at 60 frames a second. I'm know, sure and, they're and all technically capable of it, aren't they? Of course they are. But, but the, uh, technically, but, but, the, the, but the connection is always balanced based on your network environment, the other person's network environment as well. And it, it, it sort of scales things back to accommodate. If you, if you FaceTime, I can only use FaceTime as an example because I only tend to use that with family members. If you use FaceTime on a decent home Wi-Fi and the person you're calling is on a decent home Wi-Fi, then the quality is excellent and you can use several gigabytes over the course of, you know, an hour's conversation. But if you make exactly the same call but one of you's on 4G or on a slower connection, then that that comes down to sometimes only tens of megabytes, maybe yeah. maybe a hundred or two. Um, yeah, you could ramp that up and and have a wonderful video conferencing system. And if we're all going to be locked in our houses for the next year <laughs> until the coronavirus goes away, then we're going to need a lot more upstream bandwidth. And certainly, I mean, I've been doing a lot with this at Bloomberg at the in the in the week. But companies like Zoom, these virtual mm. um, meeting providers, are, are having a great time, relatively speaking, because they're expecting a lot of people are going to start making more video calls instead of flying across the world to meet each other for a disease-ridden handshake in person. May well be right, and we'll save the environment doing it. So this is this is all good stuff, I would... Um, just why, why is it taking so long to roll this out? I mean, presumably this is really more, little more than an upgrade to the transmission system. So why, why is it not happening quicker? Well, I th- I don't I don't know, but my speculation, I mean, is that it's to do with a change in certain underlying technological requirements. I know they're using Doxis three point one for this gigabit. I don't know if everywhere is using Doxis. I don't know if everywhere is capable of using those speeds. Also, there are some people who'll be on legacy connections where it's fiber to the cabinet, and then it's um, then it's copper or coaxial to the premises. Some people in these new builds, they've got fiber to the premises for, for gigabit. And I just suspect they can't do things on a house-by-house basis. So they've got to go with places where there's a large number of perhaps quite recently installed cabinets and um, uh, and home, home wiring systems. That's a horrible way of putting it. Basically, modern builds, new builds are going to have fiber to the house much more often and, and much more densely than somewhere on the outskirts of London even. So I imagine that's why, but I don't know. I hope it comes here soon because I really want it. As soon as this is available, I'm going to... I'll be upgrading and I'll be whinging about the upload speed, but I will be praising the download. Well, I've got to say, I think for the first time, I probably wouldn't bother. What is the fastest you've ever uploaded a thing to the internet to? (laughs) Uh, Let us know if you've got a screenshot. Send us that. I'd love to see it. Hello at UKTechShow.com. You're used to hearing the smooth, velvet sound of Nate's voice drizzled over your ears like a warm eardrum syrup, topped off with the freshly squeezed citrus tang of an Ian Morris opinion. Supporters of the show at patreon.com forward slash UK tech enjoy second helpings every week. 
So pull up a chair, find your nearest spoon, and tuck into a sumptuous extra helping with no commitment. If you have any allergies, please inform a waiter. Text message keeps you informed about the British tech landscape, but let's check in with our friends at Daily Tech News Show in the US and hear what's been happening in the wider world of tech over the last week. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we cover the virtual Mobile World Congress announcements. Don't you admire that Sony keeps putting out phones? Also, some compelling handsets from Realme, Huawei, and a rather affordable flagship phone from LG. Plus, how a tractor-hailing app could help farmers get loans, an algorithm to prevent future music copyright lawsuits, the Smithsonian gives away digital versions of its collection, and what if they threw an esports final and nobody was allowed to be there? All that and much more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Thank you very much, Tom. And for those of you who were not listening to our ad-free, longer version of the show this week, Ian and I had a pretty, I think, pretty fascinating discussion around Virgin Galactic, when we would like to go to space, what would we do on the moon, how much would we be willing to pay, Um, would Ian ever return if he was able to get to Pluto? Lots of topics related to space tourism came up. Um... Uh, I think it was I think it was well worth a listen. Mm. Well worth a listen. But that's out now on the Patreon feed for anyone getting um, the, well, the Patreon version. That's patreon.com forward slash UK Tech. Ian, it has been nothing but a pleasure it has been to good, be recording this podcast with you today. I hope you go on into the night with just happiness and good 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 fortune. Righto, yeah, will do. <laughs> and I wish the same fortuitous evening to you thank you old friend old old friend goodbye